My experience going through graduate school was mostly of graduate students being fully funded and working exclusively on their PhD, at least until the time came to write their thesis. But this is not the reality for everyone and in all domains of research. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with Gertrude Nontra about her journey so far, about her side hustles during graduate school, about her life balance and time management life hacks, and about how she juggles her professional, personal, and family life today. I think the biggest question for a lot of people is, I'm, I'm getting this biology degree, even at the undergrad level, I'm getting this biology degree, I'm getting this PhD, but really, I don't want to work in a lab, or I don't want to teach. I want something that pays well, because you know, notoriously, academia doesn't pay well. <laughs> it's so funny that that's the path that everybody thinks they need to pursue yet it doesn't pay so well but you know if you have a calling for it then that's fine welcome to papa phd with david mendez the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Before going on with the interview, I just wanted to thank you for following the show week after week. If you're new to the show or you're looking for an easy way to share it with your friends, I've created episode starter packs. You can find them at papaphd.com forward slash start. They are collections of episodes organized by topics that can help you or new listeners catch up on all the PhD career conversations we've had so far. Again, you can go to papaphd.com forward slash start and start exploring. And I'd love it if you help someone else get started too. And now for this week's interview. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This week with me, I have Dr. Gertrude Nontra, and uh, you can call her G. G is a biomedical scientist, college instructor, science communicator, and author. She's the host of the Create and Prosper podcast, where she interviews experts and shares tips on how to make money as a writer and author. G also started The Bold Biomed, a YouTube channel that provides tips on the PhD life, career, and productivity for students in the biomedical sciences. When she's not doing any of these things, G enjoys a good spy movie. Welcome to Papa PhD, G. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, uh, I really appreciate you having accepted my invitation uh, because uh, I, we're going to have a conversation uh, about all you've been doing in this domain of helping PhDs. And as you know, Papa PhD, uh, the, the mission of the podcast is to bring PhDs uh like early PhDs, almost finishing PhDs, people with PhDs, you know, information, insights on how to deal with all of the the, the unknown that, that comes, especially by the end of a PhD, just before, just after, uh, but also tips and tricks to make the most of their life as a PhD, uh, as a PhD researcher. So that's, I, I'm really, really grateful that you're here today. 
And uh, well, I must say, I'm really, really grateful. This is the uh, beginning of 2021. Let me just state gratefulness for something a little bit larger than me, which is the the community on LinkedIn. It's it's amazing. That's where we met. That's where we crossed paths. Yes. And uh, I, I'm really, really grateful for how uh, how much uh, love, how much um, help you can find. In a, in a community that you know, if you're a, an, an academic or a young PhD student, you might think, "Oh, this is a business uh, network. It's not for me." Right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think you know, having both of us haven't been through the PhD process, you don't you outside of the university walls and outside of academia, you don't see much. You don't see other PhDs, other PhDs on other career paths. You don't hear about their entrepreneurial paths or you don't hear about how they left academia. So, and, and definitely when I was, was a PhD, I felt like my only choice was to stay in academia. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, people, and then, and then you feel a sense when, when you realize, well, maybe my only path is academia you begin to feel a sense of helplessness as you realize that maybe you don't like research and and that you don't want to go on that path. So really what I'm passionate about is I'm passionate about so many things, but one of the things I'm absolutely passionate about is letting PhD students and even letting PhD graduates also realize that there is so much that your PhD does for you and so many doors your PhD can open for you and that mm -hmm. you just have to explore that. And so I'm excited to talk about that today. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, and I I'm, I'm really want to go uh, to dive into these questions that, that you asked, but uh, let's start by the beginning. How, you know, did you, how did you get to where you are today? What was the, the journey of uh, G Nantra uh, from I don't know being a bachelor's student into uh, going to her PhD and now getting to where you are today writing teaching about writing but also coaching people and helping people go through their graduate school life yeah yeah so great question so first of all I want to say thank you for having me again David it's a privilege to be on the Papa PhD podcast um, and um, so a little bit about me I uh, in 2012, well, in 2009, I started as a PhD student at Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And when I started my thought process, I, I had already gotten a bachelor's degree in nursing and I thought I may want to maybe teach or I wasn't really actually, to be honest, I now looking back, I don't think I was completely clear on what my professional path was, but I did know I wanted to get more education and I knew that a PhD was going to be a good path. So I applied for a PhD, got into a PhD program um, and it was great. I had a great advisor. I had a good experience, but somewhere along the line, I realized that research wasn't the path I wanted. I didn't mm -hmm. want to become a principal investigator of a lab. I didn't want to run my own lab because my PhD was in microbiology and immunology and we have labs and we run experiments. Mm -hmm. um, but then what actually even got me on the path I'm on now was, I think this was in 2011 or 2012, I went to the lab one Saturday evening to do an experiment and I was on the internet. So one, one of the things I was doing at the time was 
even though I was earning some money as a PhD student from my stipend, it wasn't a whole lot, especially because I was married. And at the time, my husband um, had lost his job. So there was a little bit of financial um, stress. And so I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I want to find something that I can do maybe on a weekend, maybe one or two times a, a day on a weekend um, to make some extra money, right? Yeah. And then if I'm able to make some extra money, then all I was looking for at that time was I just want to make maybe an extra hundred dollars. And if I can mm-hmm. make an extra hundred dollars, that would take care of some of the financial stress. Well, when I went online, what I found kind of shocked me because I found out that there were people actually um, doing all kinds of um, work online and getting paid. So it was from there that I learned about freelancing, which we may talk about. I learned about blogging and how people would put affiliate links on their on their websites and make money through affiliate links and you could essentially blog about anything and be able to and and, and not just anything but anything that people were interested in you could create mm-hmm. content around and if you did a good job of providing free value then you could monetize through maybe offering your coaching or offering freelancing services mm-hmm. or selling digital products like ebooks to them so that's how i really got started right how i really okay. got interested in this whole world of online i wasn't really an online person i think mm-hmm. back then i only had facebook and i didn't even check it that <laughs> that much <laughs> you know so when i found out i started a blog um on the different experiments i was doing in in the mm-hmm. online business world and so i would do something and i would write about it and do something and then i'd write about it and over time i built up an audience doing that that was my first blog um i, mm-hmm. I no longer run that blog but at the peak of that blog i think i was getting around 20 to 30,000 visits per month. So it it became pretty um, big. So then somewhere in 2017, after at this point, I had finished my PhD. We had moved to San Diego, California. And again, Mm -hmm. I was looking for some other way because I've always been very entrepreneurial, I guess. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, I, I already started this blog. It's beginning to do well. So what are some other ways I can, um, what are the ways I can begin to make some money? And I landed on freelance writing. So in 2017, I started a freelance writing business. That was a lifesaver because in 2018, I was a postdoc at a university and I was told that funding had run out. And so in 90 days, we were all going to lose our jobs. Oh my. So just imagine that, you know, you you go to work one day, your boss is like, I'm so sorry, guys, uh, but we, uh, we are out of money. And in 90 days, you're going to lose your job. So <sighs> it really showed me that there's no job that is secure. You may think you have a secure job, but you're only one funding away from being told, you know, funding, you're just one, you could be just one step away from being told that funding is gone and therefore you Mm -hmm. no longer have a job. But thankfully I had built that freelance writing business. And so once that job ended, I was able to slide right into it. And that freelance writing business is what I've currently built a business and brand around. That's what my YouTube channel, um, my first YouTube channel, Gene Entra Writes, is about. Um, and I just show people, hey, there is, there is some money to be made in writing. And I know, mm-hmm. David, you mentioned earlier on that you've also been a writer. Um, and so there is money to be made in writing. You just have to keep going. It's not easy when it's a free, when you're in a freelance position, but, mm-hmm. um, that freelance position and uh, that freelance situation I created for myself 
actually supported my family for for several years. Currently, I actually just started a full time role um, as a okay. writer with with an, an agency that serves life sciences and health um, companies. Which that's my background anyway. So I bring okay. a lot of value. I'm I'm so grateful to be there, and I know that my background is going to be helpful. But that's in a nutshell is my journey mm. from <laughs> you know accidentally stumbling on online entrepreneurship back in 2012 to mm-hmm. to now 2021 being on this podcast with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's it's quite amazing. But the stories tend to be like that from 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 what I've seen. You can't you you can make sense of them looking back. But as you know, you couldn't predict what what would what was going to happen at the time. Right. You know, you, there's an incident. There's a conversation you have in an elevator with someone, and then something something materializes from there. Now, I, I'm really really curious about um, uh, maybe the, the some details of how you kind of uh, you know you said you. Let's start about with the freelancing. The, the the freelancing. I'm sure a lot of people out there um, are already blogging. Uh, those or or have a Twitter account where they share, kind of like you were saying. But today, people will do it on Twitter, right? Uh, a Twitter account or an Instagram account where where they'll share stuff about their day to day in the lab or or in research. But to to start having freelance jobs as a writer, can you talk a little bit about how you went about getting that first? contract and you know putting yourself out there and and getting some visibility Mm -hmm. yeah that's really really good so actually when i when i started out i started out as a social media manager when i started freelancing so as a social in in my role as a social media man the first job i got was from craigslist Mm-hmm. So, um, my husband knew because at that time I had been blogging for about a year and I told him, I said, Hey, I'm, I think I'm going to start this freelance writing business. So if you, you know, as, cause we had a young son, we, we still have a young child, but he was maybe two years old. And so my, my husband, um, was a stay at home dad and mm-hmm. helping to take care of him. So I said, Hey, whilst, you know, maybe my son is taking a nap, our son is taking a nap. Could you like check out things for me? I didn't re- even really say that, but he, apparently he was looking for different mm-hmm. jobs for freelance writing for me. So mm-hmm. he went on Craigslist and saw that somebody had posted about needing a writer and, and, and then emailed it to me whilst I was still at work. And okay. so, <laughs> and so I was like, Oh, this is great. So I, I applied for that you know, a freelance writing position, but never got it. But that same day, somebody else had posted about needing a social media manager. And because I had been writing my blog and I needed to build an audience for my blog, I had also been building concurrently a social media following. So I knew okay. how to build a social media following. So I reached out to the person and said, hey, I'd, I'd be happy to handle your social media for you. Um, here is my blog. Here is my Twitter. Here is my Facebook. This is what I've done. If you mm-hmm. like what you see let me know and that same evening they got in touch with me and said i love your blog i love your twitter i love your facebook come and do social media for me so that was my first foray into into freelancing and mm-hmm. this individual ended up so i began to write social media content but m- more importantly she began to um refer me to other clients who okay. needed blog posts and such and so that's really how i got started was this on Craigslist too, or was this on other on another from another? Source? It was on Craigslist. So, like, like I okay. said, my husband had sent me that link on Craigslist. And then you saw another one. And then I saw another one. I see. <laughs> the original one he sent me never responded back to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how things work. 
Cool. So you can you can just kind of start by offering someone your you know your services, uh, but not not to a company. Maybe to someone who has a small a uh, small business yeah. and needs help with the skill that you have. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think a small business can be a good place to start because mm-hmm. most of the time the big businesses that you think about like the you know million, billion dollar companies will mm-hmm. want to work with an agency for instance and not necessarily a freelance an independent freelancer um and that's a, a, an important thing to know um if you want to work with the bigger companies you kind of have to know somebody to do mm-hmm. that right and i i would learn that later so i found that mm-hmm. as somebody that had no connections at any big company it was better for me to target local companies and mm-hmm. smaller mm-hmm. businesses that needed my services, but maybe they didn't have $10,000 a month to pay an agency, but mm-hmm. they would have $500 a month to pay a freelancer, right? Mm-hmm. And $500 a month would make a, a lot of difference for a lot of people, of I, I believe, <laughs> you know? So so that's how I got started. Yeah. So I think targeting those small businesses is good. Yeah. Perfect. Now, um, I imagine also uh, you can... It, this might be complicated, but you, there's labs that need uh, a website or that need uh, Twitter, someone to manage a Twitter account. Maybe around you in your institution where you're doing your research, maybe you can, uh, but you can do something like that, but it'll probably be for free anyway. Yes, uh, yes. I'm thinking of ways people can start, you know, try their hand at this. And you know something, I agree with you on that point. Be- I, I totally agree with you, David. The reason why I agree with you is because when you're starting out and you don't have any experience, it's good to start out with some, free- like I said earlier, I started out with my blog and with my Twitter. Mm-hmm. That was completely free. Nobody was paying yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. But if you can, you can get, and I actually have recommended this to people. I said, if you can get like you're saying in a, a lab, a lab in your institution, maybe your own lab, you know, and say, Hey, you know, I think we would benefit by having a Twitter and getting people to know a little bit more about our research. I know some PIs are very protective of their ideas. So, you know, it may be funny, but you may get a PI that says, okay, go ahead, do that. And then you begin to start conversations and that can grow up really, grow really quickly. So Mm -hmm. even when you have those opportunities, right, I think you should take advantage of them because later on you can use it as proof that you've done the work before. Yeah, and and if of course, like you, like what you just said, eventually people will start asking you, okay, can I have a sample of what you've written? Can I have kind of they yes. kind of want you to see your portfolio, right? So that that's when it's gonna count. One year, two years later, you're gonna you're gonna have this you know this uh, treasure of of stuff that you can show right away. Now I have a question, mm-hmm. and I, I think you, I think I know what you're gonna say, but. Because of what you said, you said you're very entrepreneurial, but uh, time management. When we're doing a, a, a PhD in microbiology, genetics, cell biology, if we want to do something on the side, we need to be very good with our time, right? How did you manage that? Plus a child, plus, you know, how, how did you, what, what advice do you have for, for, let's say, moms that are doing their PhD, but they, that they also want to you know, start uh, some kind of entrepreneurial endeavor. Yes. Oh my goodness. This is such <laughs> it's a, big a issue, good eh? question. <laughs> no, it's such a great question. 
Okay. So, so, so I think the question you're asking is managing your time when you're so busy, right? And I think that that's such a great question. I think, you know, in the beginning, let me tell you, um, at the time I started this, yes, I had a two, three year old. Um, and one of the things that I did is really, I waited for him to go to sleep. And then when he went to sleep, I would take the hours between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. to build my mm-hmm. business. Okay. So, and then there were days that where I woke up super early. So I'd be up by four or 5 a.m. and I'd work to maybe six or seven. And then I would work and I work on my business. That's how I wrote most of my blog posts. That's how I start when I started out freelancing. That's how I managed my clients. I always did things on, in the fringes of time when my son was asleep. So, mm-hmm. you know, and because I also had a full time job and, you know, that's it. one of the things <laughs> you don't want to be doing is cheating your boss by doing your your own business on on work time. It's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't do that, but I find that there is so much you can do in just two hours a day. People underestimate how much you can do, and I think it's because we we live in the Netflix culture where we can sit down and binge watch a show for five hours, and it can feel like time never passed. But the mm-hmm. truth is that if you will um, even focus on one thing for for like. 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, you'll be amazed at what you can do. So uh, to those moms out there that, you know, you know, you're busy, you have a full-time job, you have, you know, your family and you have other things too, because family and work is usually not the only two facets of life. You have so much more, you know, um, I would say that find two hours in your day, or if all you have is an hour, find an hour of your day, And during that time focus, I always used to tell people that every business that you can think about, the coffee shop in your local, in your local uh, city or Mm -hmm. your local town has working hours, right? They they usually have working hours posted. So, so set working hours for yourself. Um, It's hard. I'm not the most, um, personally, I don't think I'm the most disciplined person, but I learned to work for one hour sprints and to focus on my work. So I shut off all social media. I'm not checking YouTube or anything. I just focus on my work because I knew what I wanted. So knowing what you want and setting aside time to do it is so critical. This question of focus and of tuning out all the the noise in our day-to-day is something that's really, really timely and really, really hard to do today. Before we go back into that uh, with my conversation with Jean Antra, I just wanted to ask you a question. Do you know of or do you work for an organization that might be a great sponsor for the show? If you do, I'd love to hear about it. It could be an organization you'd like to see promoted on the show, or it could be a service you feel could be helpful to all the listeners out there. Whatever it is, you can write to david at papaphd.com and I'll be happy to talk about it with you. And also, I'll give you a shout-out on the show. And now let's go back to my conversation with G. Nantra. Mm -hmm. I think you just pointed something very, very important, which is, first, that there's these times where, if if you have kids... The, and if when they're asleep, then you can have these moments of peace and clarity. Uh, for me, I think the ones that always surprise me the most are the morning hours. If I'm able to wake up 
let's say at five or, or you know somewhere, yeah. somewhere around five before the kids wake up it's amazing what you can get done and how much you know how clear you can think at that at that time but some people are more night owls so maybe it's going to be that nine to eleven like you said uh that's going to be key but uh Sh- and and I'm tell- I'm saying this, and I have a hard time with it. And now being, <laughs> being having a podcast, uh, you know, posting on, di- you know, being managing social media, shutting down social media can be a big challenge. <laughs> it is. I agree. It is one of the things. One of the things that I did to to help me. I remember when I had been doing social media management for about a year, and then I was beginning to get questions on, oh, how do I become a social media manager? One of the things I did was I wrote a a, a book, a mini book, and sold it on my website. Um, that's how one of the ways I started making money from my blog. Now. Mm-hmm. How did I write that book? That book was a short book. It was maybe 8,000 words. But then mm-hmm. what I did was I had this Chrome, Google Chrome extension called mm-hmm. Forest. And with Forest, when you start using Forest, you can set a timer for like 45 minutes and you can set it so it blocks your access to social media. So oh that's my. exactly <laughs> what I did. So every I time I would get distracted and try to go on Facebook, it would, it would put up a black screen and say, you're still working. <laughs> 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 I love it. I, that must exist still, right? It I'm does. Sure it still it does. You should look for it. It's pretty good. <laughs> but the, the the cool thing is that, I, and, and tell me if if this is what happened with you, is after a certain time, your your body, your mind, your you know your you the the whole you gets used to this routine and you you ended up not needing forest anymore at a certain point. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I still use it. For, I don't use it as much anymore, but I still use it, especially on those days where I'm like, I need to focus on this really so that I can out. get okay. things done. I also, another thing, another productivity tool that I use, I, I my husband does not get this and many people don't, is mm-hmm. I will listen to uh, instrumental music in my mm-hmm. ears because when i do that there is this channel on youtube called calmed by nature you know mm-hmm. you should look it up mm-hmm. anybody should look <laughs> it up who's listening but essentially he he has all these sounds so sometimes it's like the sound of a wind chime or it's like the sounds of a coffee shop and so what i do is i take i have these big headphones i'll put it over my head and so essentially i have blocked out everything around me except for the coffee shop sounds Mm -hmm. and then now i can focus on whatever i'm doing especially this is i do this especially when i'm writing i can just focus on that and not worry about anything that is going on around me Mm -hmm. and usually when i'm I'm able to do that for an hour usually by the end i'm so shocked at what i'm able to do (laughs) so so whatever works for you whether it's the you know the chrome um extension or whether it's blocking your ears or whether it's just you don't listen to anything but you put earbuds in your ear so that you don't hear anything and then Mm -hmm. you turn off your phone you know so that you're not tempted to go to your phone um Oh, that's helpful. Another thing too, there's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, mm. I don't know if you've read it, David, but it's a really I good book. Yet. It's a good book about building good habits. And one of the things that the author, the author James Clear writes about is the fact that sometimes you need to remove yourself from the place where you're most tempted to give into a distraction, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you know that you would really want to write uh, or really want to work on something, instead of laying on your bed and p- turning on your laptop, get up from your bed, go and sit at a desk 
and mm-hmm. set everything up like it's a professional thing that you're doing, right? Because it is professional and work on it like it's serious like that mm-hmm. instead of trying to kind of relax and do it. And that also is helpful. Okay. To have like work cues around you versus relax cues. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, that, that's that's super interesting. And I, I'll, uh, I'll definitely... Uh, uh, you know, I, I'll remember to maybe insert that in the show notes. I think it's a uh, it's a good recommendation. Now, now um, maybe we can go uh, back a little bit to your PhD postdoc years, um, and uh, and because I, I know that now, uh, especially on your YouTube channel, you provide tips uh, to PhDs, and I imagine those tips are based on your on your experience, you know, on what you lived on, on what worked for you. And, uh, for people who are still, uh, you know, doing, or maybe even considering a PhD, um, I'd like to, to kind of have a little snapshot of maybe, uh, questions that you've had that, that come again and again, you know, what, what, what are things that are, are like generally, issues for people or questions or doubts that come back to you uh, on on this on this channel of communication you have with the phd community with the phd community right okay so with the phd community i think i've gotten more, because that's a, a much newer um brand i'm building just i just started that maybe six months ago or so so it's still new but one of the questions i but this is great because i always i'm thinking about and and looking at questions like for instance early this morning the youtube the bold biomed channel um i saw a question somebody had posted and the question was it was a video i had done on the different career paths you can pursue as a biology major and the person had asked me about the biopharmaceutical industry and how, you know, all the different paths that potentially are there, right? So mm-hmm. now this is something that I have to go and research and maybe talk to some people because even though I know about the biopharmaceutical industry, I don't know everything about it. So I'll go find out about it, right? And so I think the biggest question for a lot of people is I'm, I'm getting this biology degree, even at the undergrad level, I'm getting this biology degree, I'm getting this PhD, but really I don't want to work in a lab or I don't want to teach. I want something that pays well because, you know, notoriously academia Mm -hmm. doesn't pay well. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny that that's the path that everybody thinks they need to pursue yet it doesn't pay so well but you know if you have a calling for it then that's fine <laughs> that's I, I think that's the case for a lot of the people is the fulfillment yes. that you get from teaching from you know from bringing up new generations of scientists i think it kind of it kind of weighs on the other side of the scale yeah. versus the the salary <laughs> per se but 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 I, I agree with you and that's why i i I'm here behind this mic on Papa PhD is I also saw the same, which was people. And I also, I also come from the bio, the, the biological sciences, people wondering what's going to happen next. And am, am I going to have to, you know, just go, uh, you know, serve at, at a, at a cafe. Is, is that what's, is that what's waiting for me yes. if I don't get to the, the the professoriate and tenure tenure track etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, and you and I both know that that's not true that that and uh, like I was mentioning I was mentioning LinkedIn uh, 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 just at the top of the episode 
And just there, there's so many PhDs in so many different positions, right? Yes. It, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. And, and so I, I think it, you're right. That's the, one of the main uh, pain points, maybe, uh, maybe I can say it like that, that the, the community has. But then, you know, we're talking about, you know, biological sciences. There's history. There's history PhDs. There's, uh, uh, I don't know, linguistics, uh, literature. And uh, the percentage of people in those different domains that can stay in academia vary, but there's a, a, always a portion, at least 50% of them, that end up going to do some, someone else. I, I always refer to our, my first guest of this season, Chris Humphrey, who has a PhD in, in medieval studies and is now a project officer in a bank, right? In the banking domain. <laughs> yeah, no, and and that's that's excellent. And you see, I think I think one day my husband was telling me this story about how he met his religion professor, um, mm. and this 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 man had a PhD, and a few years later he saw him um, as a janitor in a in, in a place, and he and he was confused at first, so he called his yeah. name, and he turned and. He was like, oh, hey. And he mentioned my husband's name. And I remember my husband telling me, he's like, my heart broke. You know, and, and even as my husband was telling me that story, my heart broke. Because it's like, yeah. this is a highly qualified person who needs to be doing something that is that his qualifications um, are worth. But, mm -hmm. you know, he couldn't find a position. And so I'm not saying being a janitor is not a good job. It, it, you know, it's it's good work. It's honest work, right? But mm -hmm. I, I, at that point, I felt, wow, um, I feel like he deserved more right for mm -hmm. what he had done and so and so that's where my passion lies is is in phd's realizing that you're highly qualified and you can do there's so much you can do and that you don't have to see the world so narrowly so like in the case of chris who i'm also connected to on linkedin you know mm -hmm. he was able to turn a phd in medieval studies into a position at a bank and so people don't realize all the skills that we 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 phd's learn whether your phd is in biomedical sciences or chemistry or history or whatever mm -hmm. it is we come with so many skills i always say phd's we are the bosses of learning we can <laughs> learn anything and everything right like if we can't we, that's what a whole phd is to figure things out so even mm -hmm. having that problem solving mindset is a big skill that so many companies in business, so many companies in finance, companies in the pharmaceutical industry, chemical industry, they need that so badly. And you come as a, P as a, as a PhD, you come with those skills, right? Mm -hmm. There also may be different software or programs that you've learned within your PhD program, even how to look up peer-reviewed journals. That's a skill. Not everybody has that. And so highlighting those, you know, can we call them soft skills, I guess? Those mm -hmm. skills that are, some of them are not so soft because knowing how to use some kind of software is not soft. It's, it's, no. it's, <laughs> it's a hard skill. But 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 those those unique skills, we a lot of us PhDs um, learn it in our journey as PhD students. And so being able to highlight that on your res on your resume on your cv is so important into to opening doors for you outside of the ivory tower if mm. you want to stay in the ivory tower that's fine but if you are finding yourself in a place where you want to explore outside of it there's so much and by highlighting your skills um 
and even by exploring like freelance paths like both David and I have could be a way for you to even get your foot in the door. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much out there and I hope more more people will explore that. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. The freel- And the freelance path is one. Uh, and uh, because what happens if you go, let's say, to, for, to industry, very often they'll ask for so many years of experience. And you, you just, you know, you can make uh, make the point that, well, during my, you know, the years of my PhD can count as experience, but often the per- the people hiring, they won't really go for that <laughs> right away. Uh, so I would say, you know, there's two two things, and tell me if if let's discuss about this. I always think coming out of a PhD, going into a domain that's more commercial, more indus- industrial. You need to have some humility, and the P- because the PhD for them, they know what it is, kind of. They they probably don't know all your transferable skills, or they're not conscious of them, but they know what they want. They know who they want and what skills they want the person the person to have. So, I would say go in with humility, go in ready to work, at, have a first position that's maybe not at the level that you aspire, and then. Prove, your, prove yourself once you're inside the, the the organization, and then you'll you'll quickly uh, you know uh, you'll quickly go up the the the, the chain or the, the the ladder. Let's say. Do, what's your what's your idea on that? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, I've seen a lot of posts on LinkedIn recently with people saying um, that you know your PhD is work experience too, which is true because most of us in our PhDs are working eight to 12 hours every single day, right? So mm-hmm. I agree with that. But like you you rightly said, not many um, HR people or people within companies have caught up to that idea just yet. And so while that is still good and you can demonstrate your transferable skills, I think exactly, David, that if you, if you do get a, in a role that is a role that you want to get into, or even I had this incredible story. Let me just take a, a small, it's not a side journey. It's the same. It's on the same line, but I, mm-hmm. I, I was listening. I, I'm on clubhouse, which is a, a new um, social media audio app. And I don't mm-hmm. go there often, but I was in this really great room where the, the guy was, he had only a bachelor's degree and mm-hmm. was working at, um, marketing at Procter and Gamble. Now, okay. to get into a role in marketing at Procter and Gamble, you need to have a PhD. Okay. Most of the people who have Procter That's a requirement? It's 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 like that oh. it's not a, even a requirement. It's the way that the whole system has been built oh, wow. that a lot of the marketing people at Procter and Gamble have PhDs or at least and and usually they they either have a PhD or they went to an Ivy League school. Okay. To get that position because it's Procter and Gamble, right? Well, mm-hmm. this guy doesn't have a doesn't um doesn't even have a, a PhD or master's. Did not go to an Ivy League school and was there. And so we were asking him, so how did you get in? And he said, mm-hmm. well, I got in as an intern. And okay. I learned everything I could and impressed the bosses and stayed there and did all the things I needed to do. And now I'm in this role that most of the time would either go to somebody who went to an Ivy League school or has a mm-hmm. PhD. Mm-hmm. So what's my point there? My point there is that what you need is a foot in the door, right? Yeah. And once you have a foot in the door, 
you can do, you can fight like with everything within you to rise and to get mm-hmm. to those roles that you finally want. And, and for a PhD, that path may even be shorter than somebody with a bachelor's. So somebody, I think he had been in the industry maybe eight, 10 years, I think before okay. he got into that role. But for you with a PhD, it may take three years of impressing people, of showing people that, okay, your work is good and you are worth your salt to get into mm-hmm. those roles where you're, you, 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 um, where you feel like you want to get, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody has different goals. Where you feel you want to get. So I agree with you that there is some humility that plays into that, that, okay, I'm going to get my foot in the door, get into the company, if it's a dream company, for instance. And once I'm there, I'm going to learn everything I can. And and this is where, you know, talking, and this is where informational interviews within your company is important. This is where networking within your company and outside of your company is important. That's why I love LinkedIn so much. Mm-hmm. This is where, you know, learn, you know, personal improvement in your craft is important. Um, that if you can improve at least 1% every day within three mm-hmm. years, you'll be an expert in your field. So I completely agree that there is some kind of humility there that if you get into a role that is usually you know, not the academic track, then really see yourself. This is an opportunity to get my foot in the door and then do all the the things, the networking and the relationship building Mm. and the personal development to get Mm. where you want to get. I agree. I totally agree with that. And and I love that you mentioned LinkedIn because I was, I was going to go there. I was going to talk about networking and how important it is to start having conversation with these people who work in these companies that interest you. Because even then you can open door, you know, you can access the hidden job market through there That's without, right. you know, in a different way. Uh, gee, we're getting to the end of the interview. I, I think we could have talked for another hour, but maybe it can be, it can say for another time. How can people find you? Uh, how can people reach out to you? We've mentioned LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm going to uh, share that link, the link for your LinkedIn profile in the notes page. But, you know, if people have questions for you after listening to the episode, they want to learn a little bit more about uh, how, how to get into writing, how did you start your blog, etc. How can you, they reach out to you? Yes, thank you so much, David. So if people wanted to um, learn more about my writing journey and and or how they can get started in writing uh, freelance writing you can go to gnontra writes which is my channel or gnontra.com all right that's where you'll find my podcast um as well as um links to some blog posts that i write but um my youtube channel link is also on there so gnontra.com mm-hmm. you can find me there um i also have a newsletter so gnontra.com slash newsletter you can um go there and then join my newsletter i send out weekly emails on content creation, writing, and creativity for those PhDs that are looking for some motivation um, to um, to think outside of the academic box. Um, nothing wrong with academic box. Um, I'm just you know, sharing content that there is life outside of academia. So if Mm -hmm. you would like to explore some of those ideas, I have another YouTube channel, the bold biomed. And so you can find me at the bold biomed. And, and now I have the bold biomed.com, but it's not a website yet, but the bold biomed, you'll find me there and you can Mm -hmm. interact with me there. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, before we go, I wanted to just 
or emphasize the power of 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 you know we were talking about this very briefly and i feel like this could be a whole other episode or the power mm-hmm. of networking as a, as as a, you know a phd student and also as a, a graduate um that it, it really is important so come find me on linkedin as well um and and you know these days i'm super busy but you know we can set up like a 20 minute zoom call for instance and we can mm-hmm. chat and i think that's actually very very important because like like David said, there's a hidden job market. There's an estimated um, about 70% of jobs are in the hidden job market. That means that they actually go to people's referrals rather than getting posted publicly. You so, you know, you don't want to just rep- rely on publicly posted jobs. You can also access jobs that are never, ever posted, okay, by knowing um, people and by having relationship mm-hmm. you don't have to be everybody's best friend but knowing the people um is really helpful so that's what i, I wanted to end on that note <laughs> it's perfect gee thank you so much for your time i know you're extremely busy i i really appreciated this uh this this time talking with you i think there's a lot of value in in our conversation for listeners out there thank you so much for having accepted and uh, and uh, all the best for your projects thank you so much as well david And that's it for this week's episode of Papa PhD. I hope you enjoyed it, and I wish you a great week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.